one day I was talking to a friend uh, and I'm telling her about like all of these experiences and she says, oh, you're a death doula then. And I was like, what? You know, like, okay, never heard of that. And so I, I Google it and I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I've been doing. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly that. I was like, oh shit, uh, I guess I am. And I leaned into it. It was like, oh, and it was kind of that moment of, yeah, we've, we've been waiting for you to figure this thing out, you know? Welcome back, my friends, to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Have you ever had a person in your life, or maybe you've always been this person, who just knows how to hold space for others? That person who does such a beautiful job of showing up and listening with curiosity and compassion to your story. It's the person who's comfortable with the hard things, but also somehow has this way of eliciting a spark of happiness or joy. Last year, I found myself in conversation with just such a person after Darnell Lamont Walker gave his talk on the Endwell stage. He is an Emmy-nominated children's television writer who understands the power of representation and joy, creating content in hopes that all children get the opportunity to not only see themselves, but see how incredible they are and can be. Darnell has written for outstanding shows, including PBS's Kids Work It Out Wombats, Netflix's Karma's World, and Nickelodeon's Blue's Clues and You. He's also a death doula, helping individuals and communities move through grief and toward healing and happiness. Currently living between the Chattahoochee National Forest of Georgia and Johannesburg, South Africa, Darnell's goal with his work is to continue to support children, adults, and whole communities around the world through the building of safe and happy spaces. I can't wait for you to meet him. So thrilled to say welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast, Darnell. I'm so glad we're doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It feels good to be here. I'm glad to be a part of this finally. And, uh, you know, I've been listening and just happy to happy to do it. Awesome. Well, fantastic. Listeners heard at the top of the show a little bit about your story and that um, I discovered a little bit about your work listening to you talk from the Endwell stage uh, late last year. So I'm so thrilled to have the chance to dive into this expanse of your career, your work, your current passions. Um, but of course, I want to start our conversation where I do all my conversation, and that's having us unpack a little bit where we learned our grief beliefs. And I think by asking you a little bit about an early experience of loss and how the adults in your life were modeling it, and from my recollection, from your story, from my reading, and from your talk, I think it's really speaks to the work that you do today, which sometimes people's story Absolutely. is just sort of like a random one-off story. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that early loss and what yeah. was it and what you learned about grief from that experience. Yeah, you know, I, I remember, like I remember being a kid and I had a, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, uh, her name was Greta, and she, I remember she smoked a lot. And I remember, you know, there was talk in the family, like if you see her with a cigarette, make her put it out. Because the doctor said that if she keeps smoking, she's going to get cancer. And then it happened. Yeah. And I, I just remember, I remember getting the news that it happened. And I remember her being in the hospital. I don't remember much in between. And um, my mom would come home. Um, she would go visit and she'd come home and she'd give updates about that. And I remember um, when, you know, we knew that the the end was here. And yeah. um I just remember, and, and the adults just talked to me about it. They, you know, they, they didn't shy away from it, having a conversation, or at least my grandmother and my mother. And it just went from there. It was the first funeral I'd gone to. Um, you know, the conversations we were having, me and my grandmother were having, we started talking about death, and then, which became like a regular thing for the two of us. And even with my mom as well, like, you know, to the, Today, we still talk about it and, you know, what those plans are. But I was nine at that time, and, and it started then. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what they saw in me or what they felt about it that said, we should 
eh, he's we could talk to him about it. But I, you know, I guess they they saw that I was able to take it, you know, well, um, and it kind of just grew from there. Yeah, which is really something because I mean, I think all of us have that experience, or we've heard over the years on this show people in different families not talking to young kids, not letting them go to the funeral, thinking that it's too much for them, et cetera. And um, <clears throat> even this, yeah. And so the fact that in your family, at least in that experience with your mom and with your grandmother, they understood this is important. This is not something we're going to hide from Darnell. This is something he Absolutely. can handle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and you know, and I came from a family that really took care of each other. And so, I, you know, I think that was a big part of it. It was like, if we're going to take care of each other, these are things that we should, you know, let be seen. And, um, you know, my grandmother, she, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, she had a friend. She was always at a funeral or at the hospital or at someone's house. Um, and I just remember thinking like, wow, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that's, that are dying. I guess this is the age when... People die. Yeah. And, you know, and it was just this thing. Uh, and it, and it, it was, you know, it was, it was okay. And was the sort of bringing you into the conversations around death and dying and taking you to funerals really sort of more like informational or factual? Was there a lot of emotion displayed? What do you think you learned about like what the actual experience of grief feels like and looks like and what's okay to express? Yeah. And um, emotional. You know, I don't remember a lot of emotion. I, I hadn't even thought about that. Until, yeah. You know, this is the first yeah. time I've, I've been asked that question, but I don't remember a lot of emotion around it. I remember, I think the few years after that, I had a cousin, an older cousin who um, who died. And I remember going to that funeral and there were so many tears and, you know, every time, you know, and it was because of the songs that were being, you know, the songs were just bringing tears out. Yeah. And then I'm looking at people and I'm crying too because they're crying. Um, but, that first, I don't remember a lot of emotion. I think it was more so, this is what happens. This is death. Yeah. Okay. Um, it happens. We talk about it. We remember the person because we always, we never, you know, stop talking about Okay. Um, my great aunt. It was always conversation in the house. It was always conversation in the family. We to the, Even to this day, you know, and I come from a family that plays the lottery too. So it was always like, got to play her birthday. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and so it was always talk about it. And so I, I recognize that as a part of grief. Yes. And yeah. As a part of, you know, the remembering. Um, but the emotions weren't so much. And, you know, I'd later... Because I even me now, like when when I hear about family and friends that die, I don't get so I don't get so emotional about it, or or at least um, it's not a sad occasion for me. Yeah. It's more so, wow, that person lived, and I'm glad I I got to experience that. And I look back and I think that my grand, at least my grandmother, kind of felt the same way. Gotcha. Modeled that, like to really focus Mod on the life. That exactly. the life and the relationship that you get to have with that person. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just always curious to to understand that. Cause I also I thought I remembered and I can't remember and now I apologize if it's in something I read in preparation yeah. for our conversation or in your talk, that I think it was your cousin that was dying. Of course, it's an out-of-order death when it's a younger person dying, mm -hmm. but that that was one of the early times where you sort of now as a death doula, you look back and think you felt comfortable being around your cousin and the whole experience yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, you know, there were, it was the nineties and, um, it was AIDS and, you know, and a lot of people just didn't want to be around, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, my grandmother who, again, who, was just so selfless a lot of the time. And she yeah. was like, well, you come to my house. I'll take care of you. And my mom, who had already taken care of one relative who died of AIDS uh, a few years before, she knew that there was, you know, no harm or yeah. risk or anything. So she's yeah. like, yeah, you go and uh, you can go up there. And I was always at my grandmother's house anyway. And yeah. so it was me and my grandma really taking care of him and showing him love and um, making sure he felt the love. But um, yeah, it was, that was a big part of who I became in the in the years to come, which, you know, at the time I didn't know and didn't really realize it until maybe what, nine years ago now. But um yeah. yeah, it was it was a huge part of in my um of who in who I am. Yeah. Well and it sounds too like when you as you're sharing the stories a little bit about how your family showed up for one another, that caring and caretaking is a cultural 
part of who you are, who your family is. And I think that seems like a no brainer. Like we would all hope that that's the story of our families, but that's not the story of a lot of our families, right? Especially when somebody is ill or something with something that has like back in the nineties that has stigma. So I think that's really useful in an invitation for all of us. And by the way, if you look back and you think I did not come from one of those caretaking families like Darnell, I wish I did. It doesn't mean it's too late for us. It's just a piece of information to say like, okay, well, what do I really crave? What do I know? Who do I want to look to, to model? What might that look like? Yeah. What might that feel? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, and, and, you know, you know, not not to mistake it, because there were plenty of people in the family who are not yeah. caregivers and, <laughs> and yeah. caretakers. I mean, it literally, I you know, looking back, yeah. I think it was my mom and my grandma. You know, like I remember they were my the mom core. Yeah. and my grandmother. And I come from a, a pretty good sized family. Um, and we do like, you know, we do take care of each other. If there's something someone needs, we we definitely look out for each other. But I don't know. If I'd called them, gotcha, for certain things, you know, it's like I I don't know. (laughs) I'll take my chances over here, but um, but there, you know, so it was a a balance of of the two. Okay, well, I appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah, no problem. But I do love what you said. There is, you know, if you if you didn't, it you can you can become that person, or if this is the family you want you could be the one to start this thing. Exactly, exactly. Um, And I think a lot of us had that, maybe not from our family of origin. Maybe it was from a counselor. mm -hmm. Maybe it was from a teacher. Maybe it was from a mentor. Maybe it was from a boss. Like we all, and then we all have that chance to be the, we're not going to be the mom and the grandma that they were to you, but we can be that person in somebody else's life that models how showing up for somebody with care in that way. I mean, in a way, in a way, that's what I hope I'm doing as a part of the work that I'm doing is like, maybe I'm one of the first person people in someone's life to say, I see you and I hear you and I'm holding you in my heart, you know, and I'm, I'm with you and you never know. And I know you know this about your work as a death doula, like you never know the ripple effect that showing that kind of care is going to have. You know, on someone. Absolutely. And and so, yeah, we hope it's in our families. We hope we offer that to the people in our families as we grow up and choose to have families. But we can be that for other people in all kinds of roles, whether you're a professional death doula, whether you, you know, host a Mm -hmm. podcast on grief, doesn't matter. You can have that ripple effect wherever you are. 100%. Yes, I 100% agree with that. I love that. Well, we're going to spend some time today talking about your work as a death doula, but I want to come through first to your career in um, media, filmmaking, writing, storytelling, particularly, I want to just share with us a little bit about that career. But what one of the many things that interested me um, when I first heard your talk and and as we've stayed connected is this notion about the power of storytelling and, Mm -hmm. and how we tell stories influence what people see possible, what is available to them. So I'm just curious if even that storytelling thread comes through even to the work that you do. But tell listeners a little bit yeah. about your sort of career, um, your yeah, media, your right writing on, career. Right on. Um, that, well, yeah, right now, professionally, I, I write children's television, which I absolutely love. Um, and I, I've been writing since uh, I was a kid. I was about seven years old writing short stories and not I don't even know if they were good I look back and I in my head they were amazing stories right and so um and then got into poetry from there but I always I was always interested in telling someone's story um even listening to song lyrics I would I would listen to a lyric I remember when the Alanis Morissette album came out Jagged Little Pill and I was like I'm gonna write something like this and that's when I became a poet because of that album I was like this is a this is how you tell stories. There's a story somewhere in here and yeah. started putting that together. And I loved it um, and kept it going. I wasn't sure what I was going to be. I just knew I wanted to write and start. And then I got into playwriting, which was amazing. I majored in, you know, theater. Well, my second major in college was theater. And then I um, left there and started doing theater, but then I moved to LA and getting into LA. It's like, Oh, film and television theaters yeah. did. You know? like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, right, no, let's let's try this. And 
lo- I love television, love movies, always wanted to direct movies at some point. Um, but I, you know, I thought I could write, I could tell them, I could tell stories, full stories here and people will watch them. Yeah. And I got into it and even then trying to figure out, okay, how do I break into the system? And at that time I wasn't thinking about writing for kids, but um, someone one day sends me an application. I apply to the Sesame Street program and I get in and, you know, I'd never look back. It was like this, that moment, you know, so many of us have that we're like, yeah. oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it felt, it felt good. It felt right. It was amazing. Um, and it changed my life. And I've been writing for kids for, that was, uh, what year is this? That was only six years ago, um, 2018. Okay. And I was lucky enough to leave there and go do some amazing shows. Um, and still, you know, still work, working for amazing people, amazing shows. And now I'm at a point where I can actually write the shows I love and tell the stories I love to tell. Um, and hopefully introducing death in some of them uh, soon. And uh, yes, yeah, please. That, so that's yeah. where I am. <laughs> yes, yes right. please. Please do. What do you think that's, you know, since you didn't necessarily imagine getting into storytelling and children and and yes, please, let's have some more storytelling with children around death and grief and dying. But what do you think is uh, particularly interesting to you about being able to tell I would imagine as a writer, being able to craft a story for a child or for a children's audience is just so different. But what do you think, maybe what surprised you about the joy of writing for that particular audience? You know, it's being able to, like with with children, I can see where the difference is being made. You know, it's like I, I can, I see kids and I see them being excited when they get to see themselves on television. Um, they get ex- they they're still very open to learning, and so yeah. you, you can watch them learn. I, you know, I worked when I was working over at Blues Clues and You. Um, a big part of even just the company itself at uh, Nine Story, where I was working, um, a big part of that was the research. And so the, our researchers at the company would take the scripts and go into the school, into the classrooms, and read these scripts to kids. And kids had an actual say in, you know, how this episode would turn out. And I just thought that was one of the most amazing so things because it's like, oh, kids are involved. And, you know, and kids, you know, we all know kids are very honest. They will and tell so you some stuff. Yeah. They will tell you. And it's <laughs> like, well, what did you say? Will you watch this show now? And they would say, you know, yeah, I love this episode. Or they'd say, no, it's not good. I, I don't, I don't, want to, I don't think you should have this. You should change this to this. And it's like, oh, and we would go back and say, okay, this four-year-old said that, you know, and, and it's like, yeah. Um, and that means something, you know, and then, and, and, and me as a, uh, I was a child who loved cartoons and loved kids. Yeah, and yeah. I know which shows really affected me and which shows I learned certain things from. Yeah. Uh, and so I just hope that I can create that for kids. Yeah, I love that. And there is such a, a curiosity. You know, we, I think, I was just talking about this with another guest. You know, I think as adults, we sort of get squat, curiosity gets squashed out of us. You know, that's part of like, you have to become an expert and you can't show kind of your learning or your yeah. curiosity. And that I can imagine writing for a kid's audience, you get to really lean into the fact that kids are so deeply uh, curious, which yeah, we could it, all learn it, from, you know. We could all learn from it. And, you know, we we lose it. At some point in our yeah. life, we someone told us that, you know, we couldn't play anymore or Yeah. Or stop know, asking we, or questions or, you know, like Stop just, asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and even we we tell kids that. It's like you you ask too many questions. It's like, no. Yeah. Stop telling them that. Exactly. Um, don't stop know, and, asking and, and questions. It breaks my heart when I hear it. It's like, don't stop asking questions. That's how I get to, you know, my episodes. It's like yeah. Okay, I gotta get. I gotta jump into the mind of a you know five year old to write this thing because you know yeah. this is for a five year old to understand. And thankfully, I've been able to jump into that. But I, a lot of that is because I held on to that curiosity and I held on to my imagination. Um, yeah. So it wasn't that hard for me. Yeah. Well, and and boy, do I think about now when I think about this, the skills and the tools and the ways of being with grief as an adult that surprises people, but I feel is such an important resource is curiosity and creativity and play, like to really 
give yourself permission that ex- the expansiveness and the not knowingness mm-hmm. and is so important, but it's such a muscle that has atrophied for most yeah. of us, you know, maybe yeah. for those of you who are in the like artistic creative community, it hasn't. But so this is just a Dar- Darnell's and I call to bring back curiosity and play. Yeah, but you know, even, even the creatives, like I, um, I teach a class, you know, several times throughout the year um, on unlocking and unblocking the create the creative inside, right? And a big part of that is play. And I talk to these some a lot of these people are already creative. Some of them wanted to be and then gave it up and they want to come back. But everyone, even the creatives, I'm like, when was the last time you played? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so we have a day where we just go out. I'm like, right, make a list of what you love to do as a kid. And then we go out and find a way to make this thing happen. And you see like these adults rolling down hills and (laughs) climbing trees and hula hooping. And they're like, oh, and then they come back in and they write. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And it all just pours out. Yeah, it's it's so important. Play unlocks. Uh, for one thing, physiologically, play sort of gets rid of our fight or flight response because you can't kind of be in play. And most of us unknowingly, particularly when we're facing some deep loss, but also just adulting in the modern world, has you in a kind of fight or flight state. So play at the very least kind of unlocks that. And you can't be creative from a place of survival, That's which is good. Like no. when you're trying yeah. to busy trying to run from the saber tooth tiger, you know, you don't need to be creative. You need to be, but we can't be running from the saber tooth tiger all the time. So I just love yeah. that invitation yes. and I'm going to come take that class if I can. That's all. sounds awesome. So come on. You, you spent some years, you know, that you have this history of your family of sort of being with and talking about grief. Then you found your way into writing as a way of expressing yourself, but also as seeing stories represented in the world that were stories that you were deeply curious about. Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit then about the transition to calling yourself a, to do the work of being a death doula and what are you carrying forward into this work through all those other experiences? Hey friends, when we come back, Darnell shares the simple conversation he had with a friend that opened his eyes to this calling that had been waiting for him all along. You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast and I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Friends, I'm focusing on three C's in 2024, and no, not the C cancer, that C I've been enduring all of 2023. My focus for 2024 is these three C's, connection, collaboration, and celebration. Why am I telling you that? Well, my friend, that's because I want to connect and celebrate with you this year. As I've shared in previous episodes, my book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, An Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, is now available for pre-order. Seriously, this still gives me the chills every time I say it. As a first-time author, I'm learning that pre-orders of the book are really important to show bookstores, which happens to be my favorite place to hang out, and my publisher, that the shelves need to be stocked fully when the book drops June 4th. So I realize this is a perfect opportunity to rock two of the C's I'm focusing on in 2024, connect and celebrate. On May 22nd, which also happens to be my birthday, I'm hosting a book launch party celebration, and I'd love to have you join me. After the show, all you need to do is visit your favorite online bookseller like bookshop.org, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and pre-order a copy of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an uncensored guide to navigating loss. Then make sure you're following me on Instagram at Lisa Kefauver MSW. That's Lisa K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R-M-S-W. And drop me a DM there to let me know you pre-ordered your copy and I'll share the party invite link with you. I can't wait to meet you, to thank you for supporting the show and, of course, the book, answer questions about the book, dish about behind the scenes of the podcast, and more. And, of course, just take some time to celebrate our lives together. Plus, I've invited a very special guest to join me as co-host. I can't wait to share that reveal with you soon. 
So after you've pre-ordered your copy of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch on your favorite online bookseller, don't forget to message me on Insta that you did. I'll send you the party invite link and the first of my many thank yous for your support. I know it's just a Zoom party, but I think I'm going to get dressed up in something fun and festive. How about you? I want to share a formula with you that I think you might find interesting. 100% of us experience grief, plus we spend the majority of our waking hours in the workplace, equals grief is in your workplace right now. It's true. Remember, it's not just death loss. We experience grief in the wake of relationships ending, diagnoses, layoffs, high turnovers, restructuring, relocations, and even frightening and traumatic world events. Having been both an employee and a leader in deep grief over the years, five years ago I set out to create impactful programming that helps organizations create a grief-smart and more compassionate culture. I've been fortunate over the years to deliver keynote addresses for mental health conferences, partnered with school districts to offer half-day intensives for educators, and offered ongoing workshop series on grief, loss, burnout, resiliency for a wide range of clients from Fortune 500 companies to medical residency programs, hospice organizations, and other social service entities. Conference planners have invited me to lead Ask the Expert panels, and leaders have also trusted me to offer consultation on specific situations facing their company. The surprising thing that they all had in common It's that these opportunities all came from listeners like you. So if you're part of an organization or company that is impacted by grief, which, as we learned in the formula in the beginning, that means all of us, reach out to me at lisakefauver.com, and we can work together to make your organizational culture grief smart. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it was years of me creating safe spaces and holding these spaces for people. Um, you know, when I was nine, my aunt, my cousin, and then very like many relatives between, um, you know, working at a, a hospice and rehab center when I was like 13, just because I wanted something to do. And so like all of these things just collected. And it, it none of none of it came to mind. It was like, oh, yeah, that was the thing I did when I was nine. When I was nine, yeah. this is the thing I did when I was twenty. Whatever. There wasn't like and a plan then, or a path that you were there was no marching plan. It down. Was just, some of the time, it was just like one. This is just what family does. So I'm going to be here for my family member. And yeah. two was like, oh, I just need something to do after school, so I'll just volunteer here. Yeah. And so nothing, uh, nothing was together. It was just not a plan. And um, one day I was talking to a friend uh, and I'm telling her about like all of these experiences. And she says, oh, you're a death doula then. And I was like, what? You know, like, okay, never heard of that. And so I, I Google it and I'm like, oh, this shit. is exactly what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was exactly that. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I guess I am. And I leaned into it. It was like, oh. And it was kind of that moment of, yeah, we, we've been waiting for you to figure yeah, this thing out. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, yeah, right on. And so kind of leaned into it, started talking to more people, figuring out, you know, well, what do I need to do? And, you know, determined that it was like, oh, everything that I need to do, I've been doing. Like, I've yeah. been doing this work. I knew everything. I did get certified, but... Even in the certification, I'm reading, you know, I'm, I'm taking these lessons and reading. And um, there are some amazing um, folks out there who I w- was able to talk to and learn from. But most of the things I learned in the certification program was I was already doing it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is okay. Well, here I am. And it's been great. So that was, um, that was, a, that was around nine years ago when I heard the term when I first heard the term. Yeah. And then, you know, I think back to my family members who a lot of them and even friends who've done this exact same work. Yeah. And, you know, we've been doing it for, for, you know, 
millions of years. We've been taking care of each other for, so we've all done it. You know, Uh, it's just, I, I now lean into it even more and, you know, I'm, I'm available yeah. If people need me to be. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only only difference. Yeah. Well, I think too, um, you know, you, you pointed out like I we've been doing this for millions of years and death didn't used to be a medical thing. Death used to happen in our homes. We used to care for each other. Mm-hmm. Then death became medicalized and it happens in hospitals if it can happen in hospitals, right? And so we sort of lost track of that. So it sounds yeah. like in a way there was some coming homeness to Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even, and to answer your other question about like what, um, I carry into like, you know, I, and being, a, so being a writer and being a storyteller, um, in that way, I, I'm able to bring that over there and help people tell their own stories and help yeah. people, you know, see that there was a full life. You know, I, one of the things that really bothers me is, uh, when I read, um, bad obituaries i hate i hate you know and it's so sad i hate to say it but it's bad there's some obituaries it's like darnell darnell lamont walker was born he had facts he went to school he died yeah and it's It's, like oh yeah and here are five people he left behind i'm like this none of this have anything like well i mean a little bit to do with my life but so little like i lived a life you know and I, I'll pick up a newspaper or go online and just randomly go through the obituaries and I'm like, oh, this is bad. And so a part of what I do is like I try to help people uh, get out that full life and see that there was a full life. Yeah. And what story, you know, let's tell it. Let's talk about it. Are you helping people in a way, maybe not literally, but as a practice of accompanying people kind of create their own obituary, obituary thinking about oh, like... Yeah. Yeah, reflecting on what it is they lived. Is there a particular question that you like to ask people or invitation? I'm just thinking for our listeners at home, if they have a loved one, like, are there questions mm-hmm. you like to ask? Yeah, like I, you know, I have one that's like, you know, tell um, when when was a moment you experienced a, a, an amount of like a, a joy that you just thought would never leave, you know, mm. and you know, it's just like that those moments we have, it's like, this is the greatest, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. And I wish I, I could stay here forever, you know? And then you get sad about knowing that it has to end at some point. Like, yeah. when was that last moment for you? You know, what, what were some of the wow moments in your life? Um, you know, tell me about, you know, you know what you as a, as a kid, you know, like a lot of people, you know, what, what secrets did you have as a kid that were fun and funny? And what did you hold on to that you said you'd never tell, you know, or tell me about, you know, your, who, who were your best friends? You know, who were the, the people you wish you had said something to, you know, like it's a million of those things. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a million questions that we can ask me and, me and a friend are actually now putting together, um, just list of like, hopefully thousands, but <laughs> right now it's like 300 questions. Um, that we're sifting uh-huh. through that we create that we came up with to to just start those conversations uh, yeah. whether it's for an obituary or just you know you're you're a son and your parent is at the end of their life and yeah. you know there are things you want to know it, like so many of our grandparents and parents are holding on to these things that yeah. they don't they want to they want to say and no one knows how to ask yeah. But they're not going to say without being asked, you know, and it's like, okay, here's how to start that conversation. Um, yeah. I love that. I love, I mean, there's so many things about that I love. One is, I think so many of us have faced that experience where we have a friend or a relative who's ill or maybe moving towards death and they don't show up because they don't know what to say. And again, because they have that myth that it's their job to fix people. And I think this could even apply as you show up for, by the way, grieving people, not just showing up at the bedside of someone who's dying. It's like, be deeply curious, not only gives that person a chance to tell the stories that they didn't think mattered to other people and give them that sense that this matters. If you're a grieving Mm -hmm. person, you get to carry forward the memory of the person that died. But also that interchange, that deep curiosity that you're showing up with those questions creates such a phenomenal bond and connection Mm -hmm. that I think, you know, we think we don't have access to when someone's kind of in a hard place. And by the way, sometimes your questions aren't going to land and some people, you know, aren't going to like bite or they're going to 
maybe tell you a story you didn't want to know. I'm sure that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that oh, happens yeah, sometimes. No, been there. <laughs> been, been there. there yeah, been yeah. there. Done that. Been there. Yeah. yeah. But even like when my grandfather was dying, I remember when my grandfather was dying and I was there with him and um, we'd always had a, we'd always had a good relationship. Um, but sadly and unfortunately at the end of his life, we like, it was the, that moment where I got to see like, Oh my God, I'm very much this man. Like I, it was like looking at myself, right. And mm. I'm like, Oh my God, this is me. You know, even to the, like, I love food, love, love, love food. I travel for food. I'm in Mexico right now because I, I love Mexican food, but I love food. And um, when he was dying, you know, every day he'd be like, you know, what were those things that he had this? He would just recall these things he had as a kid or these snacks or these dishes. And I'd be like, OK, well, let me see where I can find this thing. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to do when I if I if I get the chance to have a deathbed. This is right. I'm going to eat my way out of here. Um, but as he was dying, it was like all of these things were coming out. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I feel like I could talk to you about this because you and I are the only two smart ones in the family. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. And he's like, yeah, so, all right, you know, I, I think I got another kid out there. and I might have that. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, you can tell people. He's like, but don't say anything till I die. He said, when I die, then you can, then you can say it. And I was like, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like these are the things that we we need to know. Yeah. Um, but even even asking those questions and learning how to ask those questions, it does create that deeper bond, but it also makes it easier when you become the person who, yeah. who you yeah. know, who's, you know, maybe about to lose their life or even just deeply grieving. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, I I know this is what I wanted to know. Surely other people want to know this about me now. Yeah. And so when people come asking questions, and the more we ask, I, you know, I always say have uncomfortable conversations because the more you have them, the easier they become. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, when you're asking that or just inviting kind of hard conversations or deeply curious conversations, just like my question at the beginning about how how was grief modeled as a child, the more you do it, the more it feels normal, the more we will feel mm -hmm. comfortable if we're in the position of being the one to tell the stories versus ask the exactly. stories, right? And um, I think that's uh, that's part of what is going to move our death culture, our grief culture, frankly, our culture culture. I think so much of what the harm is that's happening is we're not deeply curious. We're not listening to each other's stories where they, where we will discover so much shared history. It's not just that you and your grandmother mm -hmm. both loved yep. food. Like I can, you could walk up to any stranger who's dying. And if you really ask these questions and listen to the story, you will hear versions of yourself, aspects of yourself, <sighs> yeah. your cousin, your uncle, mm -hmm. your grandpa. Um, and so that's where I love the combination of storytelling and the work that you're doing as death tool is I really think our lack, the art of, are the fact that we lack the art of storytelling and more importantly, listening, story, yeah, story listening is, is a problem. It's not just causing mm -hmm. a problem for us as grievers or people facing the end of their life. That's kind of causing bigger problems for us. hundred percent. And that's a, that's a, you know, I, I preach that as often as possible. When I was in undergrad, I uh, was a speech major, I was a speech communications major. And one of the courses we had to take that was required was effective listening. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to tell you. We had a whole semester on listening. And then, you know, halfway through, I was like, this is the greatest class. One, I learned I was not a, I was not a listener to, you know, in life. I was like, you know, of course I listened to stories, but I wasn't really listening. And then, but it really changed how I communicated with people. Yeah. And after, when leaving that class, it was a gift and a curse because it, it's a gift because now you know and now you can recognize and be aware and whatever. But it's a curse because you realize that no one else is a listener. <laughs> no one else. But then you find those few people and you really cling to them and yes. you're like, oh. And it's a it's this thing that happens where you're like, oh, this person really understands me. And it's like, well, everyone could yes. if everyone did the work. Or we could understand everyone if everyone did the work and everyone won't do the work. But yeah. if we know, and, and since I, you know, I'm a person who's like, if we know how to do it, 
then we should teach others who are open to listening how to do it too. So every chance I get, I'm like, oh, well, listen, these are some things I picked up. Maybe you should just try it. Just listen. Yeah. And then share and and it becomes an exchange and it's great and it's yeah. a beautiful thing but absolutely it allows us to be so much more present to each other's life and to your point mm-hmm. it is i mean that is not a skill or a class that's taught to us and it's not a skill that comes easy and i know i sound like a broken record to my listeners but i think it just comes back over and over again to like effect effective listening isn't rewarded in our cultural systems, right? It's to be Mm -hmm. an expert Mm -hmm. and to fix and to move and be productive and move forward. And effective listening takes a stance of humility. It takes a stance of like recognizing that, you know, I don't have what it is to fix you. You don't need fixing, but I'm going to be present to you. It requires time, which, you Mm -hmm. know, is a commodity that we sort of trade in, in these ways that are not, um, meaningful. And so that's why I so much love what you're doing. But also I feel like the effective listening is really part of, I think of the death doula community of the palliative community, of course, fellow social workers shout out um, Mm -hmm. to the fellow social workers out there is such a gift. And the more of, and and you know that, and if you're somebody who's been on the receiving end of someone who's an effective listener, whether it's you as a griever, you know the difference. And then you just want more of it. You know, you want yes. more of that to, to feel my sign off on the show is I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what we all want in, yeah. in good days, but particularly when we're facing hard days, we want to feel seen and held. Yeah. Yeah. E- exactly yeah. as we are not in our, Absolutely. in our brokenness, in our greatness in whatever state we're in just to be seen as yeah. we are and it sounds like that's part of what you're bringing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, you know and it's that that's exactly it and it's uh and just to add like it's I always I'm, I'm a traveler as well like I, I love travel I always talk about traveling but there's this thing that happens, you know, we all know someone who went on vacation and fell in love with some stranger they met. And I'm like, oh, well, you fell in love because you felt, you only fell in love because you felt that because they're a stranger, you could share more of you. Yes. And because you're, and because they're a stranger, you, you know, they listened. Yes. And imagine if you did that back home, you, you know, and, and they're like, uh, no, it's real love. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure, but also, but also, you can do that, you can do that at home. You, yeah. could, you could have done that in Detroit. You didn't have to go. <laughs> To Tokyo to do that, yeah, and and it's it's, it's the <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's like listen, yeah. we just need more of it. Just just mm. just break it. Just do it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. So tell me a little bit about what has the death doula work show, looked like for you in particular, um, just in terms of how you work with people, but also just from your perspective as a black man in the U.S. I know. I've read some opinion pieces and some pieces, and I'm so bad when I do research on people. I need to do a better job of like, where was this source material? Oh, you're fine. Um, don't but, even look, too much research is. is uh, don't I know worry I want to do a little bit, but you know, I <laughs> but, know you t- yeah. spoke in a couple places about you know, um, one of them was sort of about being on a flight. I think you were saying mm-hmm. from South Africa to Morocco, and about what someone was asking you in particular about black grief and what was that yeah. experience and what were you bringing into your work from your lived experience in addition to sort of this training and wisdom? What, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. How would you answer that okay. question for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so to start, um, a, the, my experience as a, as a death doula overall, like uh, most of the work that I do is um, helping people through, through the grief, okay. um, you know, a lot, of, a large part of death doula work for me has been, you know, I get calls or, um, or messages. Uh, often, often I get messages on social media um, and uh, text messages or whatever about just how can I get through this grief? Like yeah. it's really heavy. How do I work through that? Um, that's the that's the largest part. The smallest part is being there for the death of someone. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's wild. Cause when I went into this work with intention, I thought that was going to be, I was just going to ask, was that the balance that you <laughs> yeah. thought you were? So you thought that yeah, was no, going to be more is, of your work. Yeah. This is, yeah. I thought, you know, I, all of, and I think that's what most people think. Most yeah. people think, Oh, you know, I tell them and they're like, Oh, 
oh, so when people die, you're there. I'm like, yeah, that, that happens, but that's so that's such a rare thing for yeah. me these days. Yeah. When we come back, Darnell explains what he's discovered about his role, particularly the unique insight and wisdom he has to share as a Black man showing up as a death doula in so many different community spaces. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefoffer, and you're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Would you like to stay in touch with me off the air? I know I'd love to connect with you more for sure. Maybe you're looking for some grief support tips or some behind-the-scenes content from the pod. Maybe you'd like to know the sources of my own learning about grief and what it means to survive and thrive in the world in the wake of loss. I'd love to share all of that with you. So here are a few quick ways to make sure we stay connected. First, sign up for my not-so-regular newsletter by visiting lisakefover.com forward slash newsletter. That's lisa, K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R dot com forward slash newsletter. Just in case you're curious, it's called that because, like grief, this newsletter isn't on a schedule. Second, just head over to your favorite socials like Instagram and follow me at MSW. I'm doing my best to post at grief as a sneaky bitch on Instagram too. We'll see how that goes this season. I offer a lot of candid shares there about myself, about the podcast, my work as a grief activist, and of course, my forthcoming book. And third, you know the drill by now. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast platform so I pop up on your screen the minute the next episode drops. As a black death doula and as a black man who's a death doula, it's uh, the work is more so helping families through grief because the grief is extra heavy. It's like the grief of this person who died, but also all the grief of all these people who died before this moment, yes. before this person. Yeah. So there's a lot of grief. Um, you know, I did a I did a documentary on mental health, uh, on black mental health in the U.S. and uh, I interviewed a psychologist who says, you know, there wasn't a point there. There's been no time that black people have been in America and haven't been without at least breath. Yeah. And I think, you know, and and now getting into this work, I would add grief to that. I think we're always grieving. And so it looks different. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a different beast over on that, that side. Um, but yeah, that's that's most of the work that I do. And and black grief is is different because, you know, like I said, it's it is frequent and it's constant. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's um but it's communal. And yeah. on the communal side, there should be that support there. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to bring out for people. Okay. Like, uh, wait, we have this support. We're all grieving. And, and, and a large part of that is that for years, that it goes to the mental health part is that for years, because we were all going through something, you know, since we arrived in this country, yeah, no one wanted to share those parts of themselves because we're all suffering. We're all struggling. And it's like, why I put that on someone else? Because they're going through the same thing. And now... You know, it's it's not that way anymore. And now we can share it. And now there are people who are saying, listen, talk to me. Yeah. You know, I have my friends where I love them dearly. And, you know, now we can talk about uh, therapists. What therapists are you seeing? Oh, oh, you should get rid of that one. Or, oh, give me that one's number. I would love to talk yeah. to them or whatever, you know. And this wasn't happening before. Uh, we have circles. We get together for brunch to have fun. And the next thing you know, we're all in there, you know crying because someone's been holding something in for so long and it's like oh yeah we're here for you and I, I and I really want to pull that out even more um yeah I guess that goes back to the effect of listening yeah also it's like we're building that building that up um so yeah that yeah that's the majority of the work that I'm doing now um and will continue to do and a lot of it even also is advocating in the in the hospitals and then um uh, in the medical space, you know, um, 
I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia, and we have one of the top hospitals in the U.S., um, UVA Hospital. And, you know, definitely fact check me if, you know, if I'm wrong, but uh, not long ago, like in the last 14 years, I think it was 2013, but let's say the last 14 Mm -hmm. years, medical school students at this top hospital, 30% of them didn't believe Black people felt pain at the level that white patients felt pain. And so black patients were getting less medication. Um, And then, of course, that goes into not just the black folks who were dying, but also black babies in the NICU get less medication than white babies in the NICU. And, um, you know, then we talk about mortality rates with black mothers. Yes. And it's just, it's so much. And so just being an advocate is a large part of, of what I do. And this this past year, 2013, um, advocating hadn't been, I mean, it was always a part of it, but it was such a small part of what it was even less than, you know, the people I helped die, right? Yeah. But or I'm with when they die. But 2013, for some reason, it was like 2023. I mean, I'm sorry, 2023. No, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm like, where are we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just watched Back to the Future a couple days ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but 2023. Yeah. It, it it just shot up, you know. I like I was getting called like I need I need help. My you know uh, one friend, my friend Lisa, she calls and her mom's friend was in the hospital. Not they wouldn't even give her water, you know, or like wet her lips with the spoon. Was like what? And so like ad, you know, yeah. having to advocate for that, and it was just it's I don't know what happened last year in the medical system, or yeah. if it was just eye opening and people realizing, you know, talking to family members who, you know, are on certain medications to reduce pain. And I'm looking at their prescription, I'm like, this is Tylenol. And you're telling me that you have uh, pain that's like a, a 20 10 out of 10, or, yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, what should I do? I'm like, let's go talk to your doctor. What do you mean? What should you do? Yeah. And even me, like I, I get, I have a, a blood clotting disorder and I had these clots in my leg that I had to get surgery for. And I mean, the it was the, Worst pain I've ever had. And I tell the doctor, he gives, and he writes me a prescription for uh, an extra strength Tylenol. And I say, oh, is this because I'm black? And he's like, what? (laughs) And and I told him, and I I showed him the study. I pulled it up on my phone, and he's like, oh, my God. And he's like, I've never seen this. And And he had to think about, and he was like, well, what should I give you? And I was like, give me what you would give a white patient. I was like, I shouldn't have to tell you that. Exactly. You, know? you and, should not be asking me what you should give me since you're the doctor. You should ask me. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What 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 would you give someone? Um yeah. and he gave me a medication that took the pain away. Yeah. But um but that's a large part of it. Okay. And it's it's sad. And so that's a, that's the part that I, you know, fight as well. Yeah. Do you I've so many questions, reflections. I'm trying to figure out an order to go in. I definitely am curious if you think advocacy will be more and more of your work. But I wanted to reflect back just to a little bit what you were saying earlier about the experience of Black grief, particularly in this country. But the cumulative nature is really what you're talking about, that there was never not a new experience of an actual death loss or the potentials of all the things that people didn't get to experience because mm-hmm. of racism in this country. And then the witnessing of more grief and that cumulative effect meant that there wasn't space in a way for yeah. folks to grieve. And then that has that epigenetic, we know this right from data that then that mm-hmm. has this epigenetic meaning it's passing on from generation to generation. So it sounds like part of what you're creating from your work, from your lived experience, like you were saying with your friends, whether it's the brunches or the spaces mm-hmm. that you're creating for people, is creating some space for that downbeat between a loss and another loss to start to yeah. digest and process and feel seen and create community. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and even like I I um, am no stranger to plant medicine, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I had an experience um, early, oh, I guess it was about a year ago. It was January of 23. And um, where, you know, I wrote down in my journal, every, I do, I write in my journal my intentions. I say, you know, anyone, and for me, when I when I do it, I, I, there's always, uh, there are always spirits. Yeah. 
involved. And when I was a kid, I used to see these spirits. And, then, and now it's like, this veil is moved. I don't know. And uh, so I wrote in my journal, I said, listen, if anyone needs to come, if anyone has a message, please feel free. Just come. And I do it. And then I, you know, it was with a friend and she looks outside and she says, there's, there are a lot of people here for you. And I look and I was like, oh, and she was like, I was like, you can see this. She's like, yeah, I was like, okay. And it was just a long line of black men. And they said, mm. you know, and they, they said, I just, can I just use you to cry? I never got to, I never got to mourn myself. I never got to grieve for myself. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I, I had to be strong. And I said, who yeah. told you that? And and that's been my, you know, and yeah. ever since that moment, like that, that night, it's been like, oh, like, why do you, who told you that you yeah. couldn't grieve yourself? Yeah. You know, who told you that you had to be the strong one? And so, and like, and, you know, thankfully a lot of friends, are now opening up to, you know, what death doulas do, or at least what I do. And yeah. they'll call and, you know, or even I'll see them going through something, someone died or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, I talked to a friend a couple of days ago and um, his uncle died. He's like, you know, I have to be strong for, for my family, for my mom. I'm like, why? <laughs> no, you no, do you not. Don't. I was like, all of you can fall apart. Like you can all just fall apart. Yeah. And maybe they're waiting for you to do that. Mm. Yeah, you know, and because when you do it, they feel safe and yeah. they can do it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh. And it's like, no one has ever said that. This comes back to and what so, we said at the beginning about modeling. Like, if you've never yeah. seen it, how would you know? And what they saw, you know? and maybe what they saw was more <laughs> of like the omission. They learned through the fact that nobody ever did break down in mm -hmm. front of them. Another black man yes. didn't break down in front of them. So they just learned, mm -hmm. you know, implicitly. This is not yeah. okay. This is not what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and so now I'm like, okay, a lot of the work I'm trying to do and in my writing this year is is really gonna focus on that. It's okay. like, okay, listen, you don't have to and even uh, you know, I wrote a poem last year about which is overall about complaining. You know, people get to funerals and say, oh, they never complain. Why? Because yeah. I tell you what, if I were, if I were dying and I didn't want to die, I'm going to complain. The you, whole are gonna time. <laughs> you, you are going to know. You are going to I don't want to be here. Get me, you know. Yeah. And I'm like complain. Like not complaining is not what's going to get you to where you wherever it is you you want to be or think you're going in this afterlife. Yeah. So Complain, complain, complain. Yeah. Grieve yourself. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in that way that they were like uh, honoring, like, oh, what what a good thing that that person didn't complain. Like, yeah. We're like, reinforcing ew. the wrong thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. for people. I was like, if, 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 if that's what you like, don't come to my don't come to my bedside because yeah. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I'm complaining about the food, about the water, about dying, everything. I bet you're already going to have written your own obituary and a menu oh, it's, it's and done. a menu I, for your own. <laughs> Service. At this point, it's just it's just updated. Yeah. Just, my my obituary is done. Is done. I updated every every year. I it's love fun. that. Actually, that's kind of inspiring. I'm gonna think on that. I'm gonna think. I'm yeah, gonna, you think might inspire it. me I mean, to do that. I got it from like the newspapers. You know, like yeah, they write obituaries years before the people die. Yeah. And so when they die, it's just oh, add this one line and put it up. But so for I'm like, huh, but to your point, a lot of obituaries are more about like what people did, what jobs they held, not about like the mm -hmm. life that they lived and what the exactly. what is what is the morals or the stories that you want to live on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and even in that, I I years ago twenty. 21, I started a project where I just went on Facebook and said, hey, you know, if someone in your life that you were close to died and they had like a shitty obituary, hit me up. Yeah. And uh, five, five, yeah, about five or six people messaged me and said, yeah, you know, here it is. And they, uh, I'd read it and I'd say, well, listen, here's some questions. And so I just asked them questions about yeah. this person. And then I just rewrote these obituaries. Some who died in, you know, the early 90s. Yeah. And they are reading it and they're like, oh my God. And it's um, still, you know, it's yeah. still like... <sighs> Feels so really meaningful. Yeah. 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 And it's like, yeah, this is what it should have been. Yeah. This is that person's life. I love that. You know, and so now when you share share this life with people, it's, you know, and, and what's crazy, like I did an obituary for a friend whose mom died um, this past year. And, you know, it was beautiful obituary. And her family had issues with it because it wasn't a traditional obituary. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, well, why, why am I not mentioned in here? 
Like, why should you be? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Did you play why a pivotal role? Yeah. Did you play a pivotal role? You know? Yeah. Like, I always, like I tell writers, like, listen, if someone wanted to be written about better, they should have behaved better in in, in your life. You know? Yeah. So, no, if you want to be in my obituary, make sure you're that important. You better <laughs> show story, up. In this a, story. You better, <laughs> you better show up and up. listen. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I heard you say writing, documentary, filmmaking, right? So there's these pieces, poetry, death doula sort of, and then mm-hmm. advocacy and yeah. creating safe communities and encouraging being present to your grief, particularly in the black male community, I heard you say. How do you think those things are going to weave together as you're moving forward? Is there a particular project or a particular vision as we begin to wrap up our conversation? Or are you still in the space of just kind of exploring what comes to you? But you have all these skills, yeah. you know, that and interests that seem like so fertile yeah, ground, you know, to to do they're, some, they're all they're all over the place. They're they're literally amazing. Everywhere, and I, I love it. I love that about it. Um, and a large part of it is uh, like the theme of it all, which I again, a lot of my life has happened by accident, right? And so it's like, oh, well, that happened, you know. Um, but a couple of years ago, I realized that the theme of all of this is is happiness, right, and joy, mm. and just helping people get to that point. It's like, oh yeah, I'm making documentaries because I want to give people a platform to share their voice um to find to get to this place of healing but also so people can watch it and say oh this is how they did it and yeah. i can too you know i'm writing children's stories for that same reason i'm, I'm writing you know i'm um the poetry uh, the advocacy is fighting for these people so they can get to a better place um yeah. You know, even traveling, like to physically get to a better place and find happiness out in the world. And so everything has to do with that. And not even on purpose. It's just what my life has come to. Yeah. Um, so I just hope to, you know, whatever it is I create from this point forward um, aligns with that. Uh, like I love it. I've, I'm, you know, I have a cabin in the middle of the woods for my own happiness, but also, oh, excuse me. But I also invite people into the woods to come and be happy with me. Yeah. Um, you know, a place in Detroit, which I will not go to in the winter, apparently, because mm-hmm. I, I, I need to go. <laughs> I keep I just keep avoiding. But for the same reasons. I'm like, from I'm Michigan. Don't go. Space. Yeah. In the winter. You not, get it. Not you the understand. best. Yeah, I understand. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but it's uh, I, I got it for that same reason. It's like, okay, if I can get this place and just open it up for people to come and figure out, okay, what do I need to be happy now? Yeah. Um, and so I always say I'm, I'm just the bridge of, so people can, to help people get from like here to here. Yeah. And that's, and as long as the work I create aligns with that, then I'm I love that. I love that. Well, and as someone who does about 5,000 different things myself mm-hmm. with this right. overarching journey, you know, mission of shifting the narratives of grief and holding space for people, I, um, love and commend what you're doing. I and I and back to maybe where we were kind of talking at the beginning of the conversation, it feels to me like you're allowing your, you're effectively listening to yourself, to your own inner knowing, but you're also allowing your own creativity and your own curiosity to guide you as you move forward in this work. And if that looks like a documentary film or that looks like holding space or a retreat space at the cabin in the woods, as long as you're coming back to that alignment, you're you're on the right path. Yeah. I'm doing my best. I, I love the work you're doing. Like, it's great. It's great. Every time I see you <laughs> pop up on my Instagram, I'm like, yeah, like, comment. This is <laughs> oh, great. Share. I love that. I great. love that. It's thank, great work. Thank you, Darnell. I'm so glad that our lives have crossed paths. Thank you so much for joining me for our conversation today. I know this won't be the last. And you all, oh, I will no. drop, drop the link in the show notes to all things uh, Darnell, figuring out how to work with him, read about his work see the work he's done. Um, it's really just beautiful. Thanks so much for joining me on the pod Thank today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope Darnell opened your mind to so many things like he did for me today. From the questions you might want to ask yourself and others in life, not waiting till their deathbed, to the complex and layered experiences of grief and loss in the Black community, to the power of creativity and play as a tool of healing. 
We covered so much, and you can learn more about the work Darnell offers from courses at the Esalen Institute to writing projects, his work as a death doula, of course, and so much more by visiting darnellwalker.com or following him on Instagram at hello.darnell. Now, don't forget, you can also pre-order my forthcoming book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an uncensored guide to navigating loss wherever you shop your online booksellers. And when you do, don't forget to drop me a message so I can send you that book launch party invite. Oh, in this season, I've been committed to releasing the unedited video versions of these episodes on my new YouTube channel at Lisa Kefauver MSW. So head over there and subscribe too. Thanks for listening. If you found it helpful today, don't forget to share this episode with someone you know who might need to hear it too. If you do it on socials, don't forget to tag me at Lisa Kefauver MSW. And of course, if you loved it, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Thanks to Mike Moody at Permanent Record for the audio engineering support and Gile Smith of Alafia Sound for providing the music. Until next time, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.